Hey, Ollie. How are you doing, mate? Very good, AT. How are you, mate? I am good, thank you. We have just shot you for the cover. How's that feeling? Good. Uh, like I said to you just before we came on air, I think I'll have a big deep breath when I have my dinner tonight and look back at the day. It was awesome, though. It's, it makes you realise how much goes into these front covers. Um, really good to reconnect with yourself and, and meet the rest of the team. I've had a brilliant day. Good stuff, good stuff. Are you uh, looking forward to uh, seeing yourself on petrol station shelves up and down the country? Yeah, I, I think back to a couple of weeks ago how excited I was at running into the local news agents to get the article where, or the edition where March on Stratford was, was featured as one of the best gyms in the world. Literally was the first thing I, I did when I realised it was out. So I can only imagine what I'm going to do when uh, when I'm on the front cover. I'll probably drive to everywhere I know it's being displayed and I'll rearrange the shelves. <laughs> Pull them to the front. And make sure that I'm visible to everyone. If you could also buy them all, yep, that would be great. <laughs> I yeah. said on camera earlier when we were uh, filming the YouTube, I said I'm probably going to buy them all and I expect all my family and friends to buy as many as possible as well. They'll look lovely. As wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Wallpaper, yeah, like a big collage. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. I don't know if it's a generational thing. Because we're, we're about the same age, aren't we? Mm. Um, but there is something about having something in print, isn't there? Like, we all see ourselves every day in digital, but having that, you know, I someone took the time to print me. This is, this is the, I think this is the pinnacle. Uh, like, genuinely, again, same before we started recording. For me, having been in the industry for almost 15 years now, and being someone that started in gyms 20 years ago, men's health was a thing that you went to. It was your reference point for all things training, nutrition, advice, um, it was all there was. There wasn't readily available YouTube, Instagram, Twitter feeds where you could go and get all the information. So it was the Bible. Yeah, yeah. And uh, now you're uh, now you're delivering the gospel yourself in there. I hope so. Good stuff. You are obviously one of the most prominent figures in the UK fitness scene. I don't think I'm sort of overstretching by saying that. And it's well earned. You've been putting, on, putting in the hours on a gym floor for well over 10 years. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the fitness scene in that time? I think the biggest changes will be the rise of the independent gyms. I think there's there's far more independent gyms. Um, the cost of entry is, is significantly lower. I think it's easier for people to, to start their own gym. The rise of CrossFit as well, and there being quite a low cost of entry to that. So there's a lot of independent gyms and, and, and gyms built on personal training success where they go on to open their own facility. I think more recently, the rise of online coaching and that being a, something that a lot of personal trainers look to as their first portal call when they go into being a, a coach. They, they miss that apprenticeship and, and in-person coaching experience because there's a shiny, you know, six-figure salary online and you can work all around the world. I think that's something that's definitely been popularised over the last few years. I think there's an argument to suggest that changes the way in which the consumer understands coaching and what they should be looking for from a product that's going to serve them for their health and fitness over the long term. Um, the, the obviously, the, the advancements in technology and digital space and people at home workouts using apps and things with it for, for the way they work out. So I, I still think it's there, but that real visceral sense of spit and sawdust gyms, sweaty high fives, hard work, community camaraderie, I think that's what it's coming back round after the last couple of years, but that's what I think is... Um, that's what the fitness industry really represents for me and, and why I got into it. Yeah, yeah. I think on the on the back end of the the pandemic where everyone was kind of forced to go fully digital, there's no hybrid offering. I think it did a lot of good mm. for accessibility, you know, because you know, personal training's not... It's always been a fairly luxury commodity. It's definitely changed over the years, I think, and I don't know what your thoughts are on this. 
uh, people are taking their health a lot more seriously and coming to see professionals or help with that. Mm. But I think online training has, has definitely kind of democratized information yeah. in, a, in, a, in a way. What do you think's changed for um, the average gym goer, though, in the sort of last 15 to 20 years that you've been on the gym floor? I was actually going to say one of the, probably the one of the biggest changes is participation. I think there are now all different shapes and sizes and people coming into gyms or engaging in fitness, whether it's in a gym or running, cycling, whatever it may be. So many people are looking to, to get started. Um, I think what they're being met with is a much more sophisticated uh, offering in terms of gyms, designs, fit outs and ways in which they should train. The old school bodybuilding type training gyms, um, Static machines, treadmills, those kind of things, I think are that, that's changing. So there's, there's functional areas. There's, there needs an, a level of education then to how to use those gyms and how to get an effective workout. So I think they're probably the, the biggest change is there's, there's an increased participation in the way in which people are, are using gyms and their experience is, is changing. I think it's, uh, it's not stretching to say that you've probably got one of the most recognisable rigs, one of the most recognisable bodies in the, in the sort of in the, in the gym scene. I think we could, we could slap a, a silhouette on you and most people would, would spot that it's, it's OM. And I think people genuinely want to know, how much, does your, how much do you think your physique has changed in the last five or 10 or 15 years? Like you're, you've been in the game for a long time and you're, you're 34, 35? 35 in a few months. How much in the last five years since since hitting thirty mm. has your physique changed? Probably not that much. Like if I look back to post rugby days, when I retired from rugby at twenty six, twenty seven, that was when I was physically my, my my biggest. So in terms of you know, how much I weighed, how strong I was, how powerful I was, and I was very much fit for function there, playing rugby, making sure I was robust and trying to stay injury free. As I moved into fitness injury, so between 27 and 30 full-time, I was coaching prior to that, but rugby was the main thing. I actually got into a, probably spiralled into a, a place that, that wasn't very constructive. Um, you come into fitness industry and you start uh, looking at other physiques, other people, uh, there's comparison. The fitness industry back there was very much in a, in a, in a very different space with the likes of body power and, and it was all about protein supplements and, and nutrition brands and clothing brands. But the a picture... More, a more sort of aesthetic. It was very based, much, it yeah. was very much yeah, that. Was a, the bodybuilder's world, yeah. Completely. It's bodybuilding and it was like physique model mm. type, fitness model type stuff. It wasn't so much about what you could do with your body, but it was how did your body look. And I kind of fell into that and I applied the same... Uh, passion and dedication that I had to rugby to now trying to look a certain way and I always had one finger on the on the pulse with my strength conditioning background and, and trying to stay fit and strong but you do over time subconsciously start to sell yourself a little bit to more how you, how you look than rather than how you function so when I got to 30 I actually um, by this point had my first child and and my, my I suppose my values and what was important to me was beginning to change my life was naturally changing based on responsibilities um, with the business and, and as a father. So time to put towards training was changing. And my, my training naturally was changing too. And I think the fitness industry was, was beginning to um, shine a bit more of a light on being able to do things with your body and not, and not just be an, an ornament. And, and I lent back into that. And it also coincided with the fact that I'd built my business and it was a, I had the foundations in place now. So I could start to think about myself back in the in the athlete world and what what could I do with my body? What is like an I call it like an athlete 2.0. So the second version of myself. 
it wasn't going to be rugby, but could I start getting into challenges and, and challenges where I needed to be strong and fit? So that brings me to answer your question, what's happened in the last five years? I think a, a turning down of the dimmer switch of controlling my nutrition to the nth degree, you know, tracking and using things like my fitness power, that's not something that I've done for five, six years now, but what I have done is, is be very consistent with a routine, very consistent around the sorts of foods I eat and making sure that my training is um, conducive with an element of bodybuilding to maintain and, and build lean tissue as, as I age. Um, not training as hard for as long so that I can be consistent and not having to take days off or get injured. That's probably the, the biggest changes that I've made as I've aged. You, you mentioned earlier that you didn't really have to make many sort of dietary changes in order to, to come in in the condition that people are going to see you on, mm. on, on the cover. And you've, you just mentioned there that, you know, you don't, you're not tracking your calories meticulously, which is something that's sort of, you know, had a meteoric rise in the, in the last sort of decade. How much do you think, having done all that stuff in the past, and you know, undoubtedly you're an incredible coach and have a huge sort of wellspring of professional education behind you here as well, but you are obviously going to be benefited by the fact you've done this in the past. So, you know, in terms of eyeballing your food and knowing what works for your body, but more importantly for everyone else, like, do you feel as though it was necessary to go to the degree that you did in the past? Mm. I don't want to, uh, you know, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, pull me back a little bit but in terms of with like a neuroticism over your food and that sort of thing. Do you think that you needed to take it to that degree or do you think that there is a, there's a middle path that can be walked where you kind of give yourself that education on nutrition, finding out what works for your body, finding out what's going to help you lose the body fat, help you build lean tissue so that eventually you can do it kind of a little bit more naturally or do you think you kind of need a, a bit of a, bapti a baptism of fire? I, I think you touched on some great points. I think perspective is brilliant for me now. I think you, I, for whoever's listening or reading, we have to appreciate that I'd gone from being a professional rugby player that wanted to be at the top end of elite sport to then going into the fitness industry where I wanted to be at the top end of, of coaching and whatever a fitness professional or fitness model was. So I put everything I could into it. So it was very much neurotic and it was destructive to a lot of things, relationships, um, health, both mentally and physically. So for me, it served as a great lesson because I would never go back there, but I also know what was too much for me. For other people, it's just an unnecessary lesson to learn because they're, they're not necessarily, their identity isn't to be a fitness professional or fitness model or whatever it was back then. Their identity is to be a husband, father, wife, girlfriend, you know, businessman or woman, mother, father, wh whatever it is. So they're using fitness as an outlet and it's about longevity and it's about, uh, it's about health and, 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 and happiness. Whereas for me back there, it, it wasn't those things. It was about me trying to be, it was me trying to compete with the best in that space, yeah. which, um, like I said, wasn't, wasn't conducive with, with anything really positive apart from a really good lesson coming out the other side. Um, if you're enjoying this content, you can watch or listen ad-free on the Men's Health app by joining the Men's Health Squad today. Once you're in the squad, you will have access to tons of exclusive content, including regular member Q&As, interviews, and access to our world-class training platform featuring plans for every level and for any goal. Simply head over to hearstmagazines.co.uk forward slash mh-mag or hit the link below. The other point I wanted to make is that I think a lot of people now who don't track their calories get a little bit self-righteous, like, you know, and they're in shape and like, oh, I don't, I can eat whatever I want, you know, I don't track my calories and they glorify the fact they don't do it. I know from experience, I did it to the nth degree. My, my fitness pal streak was probably four or five years. Um, 
every day, right? So it was a great education in food, protein, carbohydrates, fats, calories, those kind of things. But what it also did was build a load of habits and routines about foods that I really enjoyed eating that were conducive with a high-protein, well-rounded, nutritious diet. Um, so that even though I say now I don't track my calories, my breakfast is the same thing seven days a week. My lunch is, is on rotation and same with my with my dinner. So um, there is always a constraint for people that look in shape. They didn't just you know, yeah. they didn't just happen o- overnight. So my physique as it stands today is, is, is the best part of 15 years of going through professional sport, understanding nutrition, being a fitness professional. And still, you know, keeping some constraints on my life that ele- enable me to, to look this way. What do you think that kind of middle path is for, for someone who maybe they're new to all of this? You know, they, they, they're, they're having to Google now what my fitness pal is, but they, they want to take your advice. They want to heed your advice here and give themselves this short course, this education in, in discovering the foods they like and what makes up those foods, discovering how they can build combinations of food and, you know, what the impact of those foods are on their mm. body. How long should they take over this process? How much experimentation should they do? And what do you think they should look out for? And at what point do you think you really graduate from that? Yeah, I think just that whatever it is, it's just bringing an awareness to it. If, you, if, you, if you're not aware of what's passing your lips uh, and whatever tool or method you use to create that awareness, that's the fundamental thing. You need to start becoming aware of, of what you're eating and drinking that, that, that has you know, calories associated with it. And I think that's really, um, it's revolutionary for anyone that wants to start to take their physique or body composition in a, in a direction of, of change. So my fitness pal being probably the quickest way to learn because it's a very simple process of scanning a barcode um, and it popularizing on your phone to show you that you know, this is how many calories it is, this is what protein is, this is carbs and this is fats. And there's some basic rules of thumb obviously that we need to, need to live by, the principles that sit within that. So understanding energy balance, so calories in versus calories out and how much you need to maintain the weight you're at and what it would take for you to gain weight or lose weight. So once you have that and you have that sort of that number, then appreciate that this isn't a 24-hour clock, this is something that stretches out you know, seven days a week four weeks of the month, don't beat yourself up, up, up if you fall off the wagon, but you're looking for consistency over time. So once we understand calories, we understand we're trying to be, play a bit of a long game, then we can start to get into the minutiae and detail of protein, carbs, and fats. If my fitness pal is something that becomes a nuisance, then you're probably not going to stick to it. So there, like I said, there are other constraints that people can use, and that's why things like intermittent fasting, um, restriction on certain food groups or foods come, come into play, but there's no magic answer to it. It's just what's going to work for most people. And I just think my fitness power is probably the best way of giving people ultimate flexibility on what they're going to eat, but within but staying within those rules of the game, which is a calorie deficit if you're looking to lose fat, um, and also making sure that you're consuming enough protein, which invariably most people struggle with. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's often just the... I, I think... You touched on something there right at the beginning, which I think is is a, a fundamental truth that's so easy to overlook. Is the minute you bring some awareness to what you're doing, like things get better almost mm. instantly, right? So even even right down to just taking pictures or just jotting down the food you're eating throughout the day, it creates that awareness and it creates that accountability, right? In in order to you know a lot of people don't even realize what they're putting down in a day, do they? Mm. That's that's probably the first port of call. It also depends on what the goal is, like how extreme, extreme is maybe not the right word. Once we understand where we're trying to get to, what's the amount of weight we're looking to lose or how, what's our time period, we can start to work backwards from that. But for most people, as you said, the level of awareness, taking, taking a, fo- a visual food diary and taking pictures of your food, um, writing it down and then just looking to beat that a little bit for the following week. 
Um, if most people just start to insert protein into each square meal that they have um, and reduce calories consumed from liquid drinks, they're probably going to start to see some positive change. Yeah, that's really the, the low-hanging fruit, right? Eat protein at every meal, yeah. stop drinking your meals, and most things tend to sort of start squaring. So like you say, like what? I think you were right to use the word extreme because there are people who are 20, 30 kilos overweight now that sounds extreme but then i also think that means the means they need to use to lose that weight doesn't need to be as extreme right mm. you're not you're not talking about going from eight percent body fat to six percent body fat wherein an extreme approach is probably warranted if you for one of a, a sort of not particularly pc term but if you have it to lose i don't think it's going to be particularly hard to lose right like you say you just tighten those screws on a, on a few bits bring a little bit of awareness to it and I think fundamentally, when we just to tie that back to my fitness pal, the person that does perhaps have that much weight to lose, my fitness pal is a tool to be used further down the line once they've started to gain some momentum. And, and like I said, I think we need to look at the low-hanging fruit, some, some sensible choices, some sensible swaps, some variations of similar foods that they enjoy eating that have you know, caused them that weight gain that will actually start to take them back the other way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people look up to you in this industry not just because of your physique not just because of your sort of business prowess and i know you're you're incredibly respected for the the personal brand you've built and the the gym brand and the, the fitness brand you've built at large but I, I think one of the biggest things people sort of look up to you for and respect you for is you are a very um open father i guess for i don't really know what the phrase would be but you know you 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 share the fact you're a father, you, you share your, your sort of your kids' lives and you, you just recently welcomed your third, right, not too long ago, so a father of three. Do you think our culture has possibly taught people that becoming a dad is the end of the road for our fitness goals? Yeah, I think I, I played, uh, well, I poked a bit of fun at the whole dad bod thing when, when Leo first came along. I think so, but I think without... Yeah, it's trying to sound too harsh. I think mm. some people use it as an excuse. Like, it is tough to st stay in shape, kids or, or without kids. Particularly now, you know, modern society and the things that lead us astray from, from staying in shape. But if anything, for me, it's, it's coming away from rugby and, like, that, the, you know, the game and the match and winning being the end goal. Now it's about winning for, for, for my kids. And that's both mentally, physically, financially, and, and to give them the environment to, to thrive in. But I, I believe that, firmly believe that starts with the physical. Um, and for me, I know that I'm operating at my best when I'm looking after myself um, and my training is on point. You said earlier that um, you, you know, after rugby, you wanted to find some other things. Now you look to compete and that sort of gives shape to your fitness. Mm. Do you feel like that, that fits better with your role now as a father because you need a goal to work towards within a given time frame? Because otherwise it's like, you know, you've got to balance everything. So, you know, I've got a session in the morning to train for high rocks and then I'm back home and then I'm doing this so you can actually compartmentalise things much better. I think so. I, I think just like most of my gym members, like I'm in the same position they're in now. When it comes to, when I think back five, six years ago, when work was kind of like, it was a side hustle alongside training as well. The two things kind of went side by side. Now, as, as I said to you earlier, sometimes it might only be 60 minutes to train, in which case I need to have a goal, just like my gym members would or, or clients that we would coach, so that I can make sure that 60 minutes is really, produ really productive and that, and that there's something that anchors me to not, well, anchors me to, to turn up and to put everything into it. Um, and I think that that goal, that 
that little bit of pressure, that time commitment, I think is really important just to keep people focused. And now there are accessible fitness competitions for everyday people, whether it's a, a turf games, an athletics, a high rocks. I think they're really good at just giving these these anchor points and flags in the ground at certain times throughout the year where you need to make sure that you're turning the diet up. Um, so then you're not for 12 months a year just kind of like hitting and hoping at kind of I'm just going to go to the gym and go through the motions. For me, that, that's been really important. Puts a bit of pressure on. I think everyone everyone needs that. Well, especially busy people need focus, right? So whether they're busy with work or at home, if they've got a thing they're working towards, and also it gives you a it gives you a, something to measure yourself against. Like mm. high rocks, for example, you you can go, you can repeat the same race, and you can you can try and beat it a bit like a marathon, triathlon. Like I, me and you have spoke over the years about. You know, we, we, you start to get into more endurance based sports as you get a little bit older because you know trying to keep the strength and 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 improve your strength becomes harder and harder and the, the cost to the body is is quite considerable but i'm not saying endurance sports are easy on the body but they they give you a number of other benefits as well sort of the, the time and headspace and thinking space when you're out doing them so i think those things are really important in people's lives to keep them keep them on course with their training um but also give them that slight level of like nervousness that they've, they've got to go and compete and like I said one thing we're big on at, at March on is this athlete 2.0 so a lot of our members or people that we look after and maybe a lot of these um, the, the listeners here have competed in sport whether it's in school in university or sort of early 20s and then corporate life kind of takes over parenting takes over but there's no reason why you can't come back to being competitive in, in some way shape or form whether it might not be rugby football netball anymore but it could be things like marathons half marathons um high rocks for example i think it provides uh, training for events whatever the event may be provides a lot more sort of visceral accountability than just saying okay i'm going to get in shape mm. okay i'm going to you know i'm going to get i'm going to get in shape because it's a very it's a very wishy-washy goal isn't it and when you have those there's no real specific accountability there. and I, I think you said something great there which is it gives you this nervousness because you have this accountability. Like you are going to ethics, you are going to high rocks. It's going to happen. It's not just, you know, the old school goal of, you know, I want to, I want to tighten the belt up a bit for the beach. Mm. Well, what's the, what's the consequence if you, if you don't, and what's the consequence if you miss a few sessions each week, if you, you blow the diet out a little bit, you're not quite where you expected to be when you're on a beach. No big deal. But when you're kind of, in the hole in the middle of an event looking back going i wish i hadn't skipped all those sessions mm. now like it, like you say it gives you that both that impetus to train and an awareness of like something very concrete is coming and i think for people who have a lot of responsibilities in their life uh, you know we're, we're all thought we're all dads sat around this table and i've always found that to be the, almost the unbeatable excuse not so much the not so much the logistics of it because most people can find, you know, I find it hard to swallow when people say, I can't when I've got kids. What and That would kind of indicate that no father ever could ever be in shape. And mm. you're, you're sort of living testament, that's not the case. But the one thing you can't get your head, one thing you can't get over excuse-wise is, I just want to spend more time with my kids. But I think when you've got something really tangible to go for you stop making i'm not that's not an excuse i phrased this really badly but you know please spend time with your kids um but you are also you're showing your kids that when you set out to do something you get it done mm. you you're showing them that you know follow through is important and not doing so can have consequences and i think kids do kind of 
provide you with that that little bit of reflection of like what what is the example I kind of want to set here? How will you, you know, when 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 your when your kids become older, how will you approach? I don't know if this is something you've ever given any thought to, but how will you approach kind of giving them a nudge towards fitness or just kind of fostering and cultivating the importance of uh, of physical development in their lives? I think, like, growing up, I was never really pushed into it because my, my dad was a more of an academic. That was his kind of thing. And he was a doctor. I've told that story many times. So, like, sport wasn't really a big thing for him. But he'd go and support it. With my kids, um, I want to give them, like, a, a broad understanding or... or a broad in introduction of, of sports at the moment it's swimming and gymnastics in time i think we'll then st start to integrate some ball sports like rugby and football and just try and find where they where they begin to thrive without getting too attached to what sport it is in these early years i think that's quite important um particularly if we want kids to stay engaged in that sport for a number of years that like i knew by the time i was like 26 and i'd only started rugby at 14 i played football before that that i was just so physically tired of it so i wouldn't want that to happen to them so i want to spend the first sort of 10 years of their sporting career or sporting lives just getting them involved as many as possible and seeing where where it clicks without putting too much pressure on it um what i know i need to be very deliberate with is is making sure that we do take them to those to sport and mm. things at weekends and, and, and trying to just peel them away from tvs and tablets and things that i think a lot of kids mine included you know are, are just exposed to from an early age that, that we weren't um just to go back a step about like a real representation of like success with training when you have kids like I believe my wife's better than better than me I know, I know it's going to be me on this front cover but my wife looks incredible for three kids and, and she makes time and she's not a fitness professional she's not a fitness person she just makes time to get to the gym three four times a week and if she can't she'll pull a bike hug out in, in the garden and she'll get something done so a little a little plug for her there how important do you think it is to kind of do these things in front of your children, like let them sit. Something I think about a lot is you'll often see people saying, I'm going to make sure my kids know how important fitness is. I'm mm. going to let them see how important it is to me. And something I've reflected on is, well, I would rather my daughter not think it's this big, huge, important thing, but think it's the most normal thing in mm. the world. Like it's not some, because I think it's very easy to, you can burn out of things like that very quickly, right? It puts a lot of pressure and you can end up in this place of, Oh well, if I can't go all the way with it, what's the point? Yeah, and um, I, I wonder how how do you think about that? Because obviously the the things you do are you know uh, the you're well, I mean you're on the cover of Men's Health magazine, like you're you're out there in terms in the stratosphere in terms of your achievements in in the in the fitness world. How do you sort of pass that against also making it look like the most normal thing in the world that you should integrate into your life, even if it's not at a high level? I think my kids are are exposed to it but when they come and see us at the gym like they'll often be in the gym at lunchtime like if if lauren can't get into one of the the coach-led sessions at march on because she can't get childcare or the kids are off nursery whatever it may be she'll bring them in and they'll they'll sort of run around when we're when we're all training and the boys and girls the coaches at march on will, will sort of entertain them for a period period of time so they're always exposed to it and to them it must feel natural because they're always around people working out, doing weird, weird stuff in, in gyms. Um, even at home now, I've got a recovery set up with a with an infrared sauna and an ice bath. And like Enzo, my middle child, will always try and get in, like get in it. I mean, he obviously doesn't know what it's for <laughs> and what, what I'm doing. But I think um, I think by proxy of the fact that they're always around myself and my wife, and we're always doing things that are 
you know, active or seeking to be as active as possible, they're, they're kind of you know, brought along for the ride anyway. Uh, I guess we'll never really know until they're old yeah. enough to, to go, oh, yeah, I remember that time when you used to just have us, you know, sat on a bike <laughs> or in the corner when you were on a bike in the gym that that um, it's had that much of an influence on them. Well, it's a very, um, it's a very family business mm. that you have. You know, you've, you've got your sister and your brother and, you know, it's it's a very kind of, everyone's involved. So, you know, it's interesting that your your children are with their family when they're here as well, you know, yeah. their wider family. Um how important has it been for you to bring, you know, to, to include your family in in March and as a business and as a, as, a, as a venture? You know, has that been something that was baked in from the beginning or, or something that is, has grown organically as people have come on board? Uh, it's been very important. I think the success of March on, particularly in the early the early years, um, is very much hinged on the fact that we were such a tight knit like, group of people. So the business was started with myself, my brother, and my best friend. So already you've got that just loyalty and trust and a bit like on a sports team, like you'll just do anything you can for the, for your teammates. And, th- and that's how it was in the early years. We, we were all do it going above and beyond for the, for the business, for each other and, and for the for the clientele. Um, there's, there's a level of like you're, you're, you're all singing from the same hymn sheet. We almost had a, a sixth sense when we were in that the smaller gym to begin with of where each other were and how we were coaching. So we could really create a really cool product, um, but we also could maximise our potential because we, we just... It's like we all knew where we were. And we had eyes in the back of our head. And then when Sarah, my sister, came on board as an operations manager, again, there's just a level of ultimate trust and I could just hand over things to her knowing that she would bring the same level of detail and attention to detail that, that I would have done. Um, as we've grown, we've been very fortunate to bring on, you know, we, we've grown to, we grew to around 18 um, employees. Again, because we had such a strong set of values and culture built by the, the initial team, I think people have kind of adopted that now. So when mar- people look in at March On or they, they wonder, like, how has it become, quote unquote, as, as successful as it has? It very much is from that the really strong culture that we created and then people adopting that and, and taking that on for themselves, which makes my life so much easier now because I don't need to be necessarily in any of the business functions day to day to know that it's still going to run how it would have done or how it did when, when I was involved. Um, that's not to say it doesn't come without its challenges because then of course some of the, the, the tougher conversations, the straight talking conversations are harder to have you need to really think of ways to communicate that aren't going to then impact you know, the weekend events when you, know, you, your wife and your brother and his you know, fiance are going out for dinner and you, you might have had a bit of a, uh, a tough conversation earlier in the week so there are obviously some, some times where it's been difficult but the, the pros far outweigh the cons um, and I think it's given us a real competitive advantage uh, on that note, I think you're you're someone that people in the industry really look up to from a from a business point of view. You're, you, you know, you're someone who who's sort of grown your business astronomically. Always seems to be making the right moves. But I think you have a I think you have a, a kind of special insight into the industry th- uh, through your your sort of education. You're, you know, you're at the PFCA, mm. your your education platform. You kind of get an insight into what other coaches and other gym owners are doing that perhaps other coaches and other gym owners don't get what are some of the the biggest mistakes you think trainers not necessarily gym owners but you know young trainers coming into the game young coaches make um you know at, at the outset it's really it's really easy for me to say because I'm in the position that I'm in and I've kind of gone through the evolution of a personal trainer as, as it as it was, um, as I was supposed to experience it given the time in which I got into the industry, similar to yourself. 
Whereas now coaches are coming in, it's just so it's so vastly different. And people are looking for instant gratification and people are looking to get paid for their work straight away. Now, I know that sounds stupid for me to say that you shouldn't be looking for those things. But I think if you can spend that first 10 years of your coaching career literally looking to learn from as many people as possible about as many different things as possible and give of yourself as much as you can, um, then I think you stand a chance of getting out the other side and having accrued a hell of a lot of skill sets built of a, a vast network, have a load of trusted peers. And along the way, obviously, you're going to earn money and you're going you know, to put food on the table. But I think that's the game that most people need to try and play. And I think if I look at... I can only talk from my own experiences. If I look at my the, the early part of my career, at least for the first five years, it was all about reinvesting into my own learning, my own knowledge, being really inquisitive, being really curious, trying to do as much as I could to, to get in amongst the people that seemed as though they were doing the right things in the industry. And the reason I guess we've 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 built a successful business is because I applied that I've always applied that same that same thing. I did it in rugby. I had to overtrain to get to get to the level that I needed to get to. In business, I felt we we always try and overwork and over like look for every opportunity. Um, we're guilty of saying yes to too many things sometimes and stretching ourselves thin. But it's in that in doing so we build a capacity and endurance to be able to to be able to push that a little bit further but also we accrue all those skills and learnings and lessons in in the process so if i was to give some advice to a young coach although it's not terribly sexy for people to hear it's like take your time and be patient and think about how you can get the best apprenticeship and if you can do that i promise you the other side of that will be success and and i i think the long game is is one that should be looked to be played at all times do you think too many um, younger coaches or maybe even older coaches try to play a sort of solo game? Do you think it's an industry that has historically kind of presented itself as a very sort of lone wolf sort mm. of pursuit, especially personal training, right? There's this idea you're on the gym floor, there's only so many members. Do you think that's created a, a sort of culture of maybe even scarcity that has sort of done a disservice to trainers that should and could be learning from each other? Yeah, I think me, me and Dave spoke about it earlier. Like, I've always been someone that would look to collaborate as much as I can. As much as you know, we spoke, March on sometimes maybe hasn't been you know collaborated with as many times as we would have wanted to. Personally, I would always try and shine a light on other coaches, which invariably and arguably had a similar skill set, a similar product to monetize, um, a similar philosophy on fitness. I would always try and collaborate with them because I think there's enough to go around for everyone. Um, and I think this kind of cross-pollination and, and building a network of people in time, like no one's going to, as a client, no one's going to stay with someone forever. You know, you're doing great if you get two to three years out of someone as a client, like like really, really great. That's a, that's a great lifetime value, but then they might want to move on to something else. I'd, I've done that myself in my own kind of athletic endeavours. Um, so I think collaboration is something we should always be looking for. I think if coaches aren't looking to do it, then maybe they're not part of your tribe, but um, you'll certainly find your tribe if you go looking for it and you actively pursue it. Talking of tribes, I mean, obviously community is is the buzzword of, all, of fitness that for the last, you know, f five, ten years, it's all about community and building a community. Mm. Obviously, bricks and mortar gyms have fantastic communities, but with the rise of remote coaching, do you think, how, how do you, with your business and having both those things, how do you con um, rationalise building a community but also serving people who are essentially training on their own or lone wolves that's a great question actually going back to the original question we're talking about the the change in the fitness industry i mentioned the rise of you know digital kind of offerings and for transparency we have a we have a big one of those that's actually the majority of our business um 
I'd argue that we try and do as good a job with our online community as we do in person. The difference there being we don't have a physical way of monitoring how well that's going because we get to see and communicate with our with our gym members every day. In the online space, we just try and make ourselves as readily available as we would in person through the uses of our own app and through social media. Um, mm. It's no secret that I'm on social media a lot, whether it's documenting my family, documenting my training, documenting my, my colleagues, or just conversating with people that follow me. Um, very accessible, and I think that... that that plays in our favour to try and build that community. Things like events, any opportunity where we can get in, you know, FaceTime with um, online members of ours or people from social media, we, we will do those. Uh, taking ourselves to other events that other people are hosting, I think that helps build a community. Um, but I think the community is built around brand first and foremost. I think if you, I think if you can build a brand where people have that real sense of belonging and connection with the brand they automatically want to be part of that community, whatever that community represents. So I think community is just an, an extension of building a great brand. Yeah, nice. And I, I think this ties back to kind of what you were saying earlier about the the rise of accessible functional fitness events, uh, et cetera. It, it offers a good, I know perhaps there's something in this, perhaps these things have sort of risen sort of concurrently to complement one another or as a result of one another, but having places where you can then go and meet up with people who have been part of your virtual training community, mm. you know, and you're all training towards the same goal remotely, I think gives back some of that bricks and mortar community. You know, there's that IRL we're in real life, you know, and I, I think it's, it's been an incredible thing for the fitness industry, I believe, because it's, it, it's opened up that community beyond and, you know, CrossFit always did a good job of this, but beyond I train at this gym, I train at this gym, I train at this gym, into, like, we are all fitnesses. And this is something, I don't know if you'd agree with this, outside of professional sport, like, you probably couldn't even have predicted this 15 years mm -hmm. ago, like, training in a, in a leisure centre, training in a health club. You probably couldn't have predicted that everyone's going to be doing, like, super hardcore functional exercise in a field altogether having a, having a great time. Um, do you think that people who who still, and this is not to sort of demolish these pursuits, but train in, you know, very solo pursuits, and I'm not going to kind of lump bodybuilding in with this because I think that has a culture in and of itself, but, mm. you know, people who take themselves to to the health club, stick their headphones in and do their thing, which is, is, is super admirable and that, you know, that's, it's doing the work and the work is what counts, but... Do you think those people are, are possibly missing out on something that could possibly keep them in the game for longer by discovering a version of, of this that is, is potentially a bit more fun and has got a bit more of a lifespan? Well, we try and cater to a lot of the people that do train in those gyms that might be a little bit isolated at times with some of our programs online. But again, I'd like to argue that we were able to give them a little bit more of a, a personal touch and a human element but through the app so every day we'll have a, a coach's video on there where they will literally sit down and and see a two-minute video from one of the coach which is invariably talking to them as their as their client there's uh, group chat features in the app there's also the opportunity to, to direct message a coach in the app and there's also then our personal brand channels and all of our coaches will are tasked with doing multiple question answers each week getting back to q and a's doing takeovers on the main March on pages. So there's plenty of time for, for members of our program to conversate and communicate with, with, with a real-life coach. Um, 
to to give my thoughts though on on the person that does put their earphones in and goes to the gym by themselves. I, coming from a team background, think that working out with people is is far more fun. Um, you probably saw snippets of the, of the gym up there when when sessions are ongoing, or even when the team train at eleven. Uh, it's the reason why I competed in doubles high rocks and not singles high rocks. Is the reason reason why I'll always look for physical pursuits where there's other people involved because I, I just think that, I think experiences shared with someone is is, is something that um, just rings true to me a little bit more and, and things that then I have a shared common ground to talk to people about because they've been through the same thing with me and I think it just just builds a, a deeper bond. Yeah, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. As someone who literally takes himself off to hide and train but training plus that connection is it's a multiplier i don't even think it's i don't even think it's a plus i think you you 10x your session like even when we've all got together and we we've trained in the past and this is kind of speaking back to the point of of coaches getting together i will always say to people just try and spend as much time as possible around other coaches because Mm. that to me is more almost more invaluable than a lot of educational courses you can go on like the ideas you will come away with just from open source a good training session where you shoot the breeze on the industry it is massive but even people who aren't working in industry i think going to the gym and having that shared hardship with someone and th- this might this might be a little bit sort of beyond the pale of this conversation but if you have friends that you you have difficulty communicating with or, you know, you're, you're worried about, and we hear all the time now, you know, reach out, make sure you're talking to your friends, make sure you... And I think particularly in a lot of male dynamics, it can be difficult to do the thing of of sending a text message, say, you know, saying, hey, mate, I'm a little bit concerned about your mental health. But just to reach out to someone and say, do you fancy a workout? Mm. I think is such a great first port of call for that because we we dissolve so many barriers in the gym when we train right you know our our egos sort of dissipate a little bit we open up a little bit and i just don't think you can beat that that connection and i think having that that sort of shared bond of doing a hard workout with someone does enable you to open up and have a little bit more difficult conversations and I, i think for any guys out there that struggle to do the you know, maybe you're not great with words or maybe you're not a particularly sensitive soul and you struggle to, to reach out to your friends and have these communications, just invite your mates to the gym, right? Like how many good conversations you have with people just because you went and trained? Yeah, I actually, it's quite topical. I had a, we went for a, a very informal business meeting, myself and, and two people. I met them the other day and the um, the atmosphere was not frosty, but when you first meet someone for the first time, it's quite formal, shaking hands, a little bit awkward. But the meeting was actually taking place, me taking them through a training session. So within 10 minutes, you know, we've done the warm up, we're starting to get into a bit of work now. Within 10 minutes, so the, the questions start to roll in in our, in our kind of rest periods. And we were very much doing a, a kind of bodybuilding type session. It was, it was leisurely on a Sunday morning. Um, but it was, a, it, was a, it was a meeting about a serious topic in a very informal setting. And like I said, within ten minutes, like the the barriers kind of came down. We're now we're now sharing in the same pursuit here. On yeah. you know, doing we were doing leg press, and then we're into a conversation, and and slowly the layers start to peel back, and and everyone gets a little bit more relaxed. And then we got into some really cool stuff. And by the end of the the, the meeting or training session, I should say, um, the the follow up and the conversations we're now having, like we got we got to know each other really quickly, and we soon had this mutual respect just because we shared a bit of hardship together. Um, but to take it back to what you said there about you know invariably a lot of your sessions are by yourself like th- 
that's the main thing. Like you said, the work needs to get done, whether it's with someone or without. So if if the uh, repercussions of not finding someone to work out with is that the workout doesn't get done, then that's not the solution. Um, but if there is someone, you know, and it might be mean you taking your earphones out and approach someone in the gym that might look as though they you could resonate with them and they're training on the, on a similar path as you, then then go and approach them and see if you can you can buddy up for for a period of time. It only serves to push you and and, and provide with a bit of healthy com- competition as well. Yeah, I think the minute you take your headphones out, those things do they do just naturally just happen. happen naturally. Like I come from a, a I began in a, a kind of bodybuilding gym type background and. You would see people training together that you could not picture two people more different or, you know, outside of the four walls of the gym, you're like, these two people have a very different life, but they, you've been training together for two years. You meet here at the same time every night, like you're an investment banker and you're a plasterer Mm. and it all started because you asked this guy for a spot Yeah, and then he asked you some questions about how you got up and then I think taking your headphones out in the gym is... It can be can be a gateway to some some big things that you are you're otherwise otherwise missing out on, right? Yeah, hundred percent. I guess the uh, the only time when that doesn't pay is when the the leisure centre that you go to or the gym you go to isn't then playing good music, and if no one does talk to you, you're, you're left without anything. Yeah, it's a yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a gamble, isn't it? It's such a it's such a gamble. Your gym's mantra is without limits. Mm. What does that mean to you personally, and how do you try to embody that? Um, the gym's mantra has gone through various different iterations. It, it started with um, train everything ready for anything, and that was kind of a. It was kind of paying homage to the fact we were jack of all trades and masters of none, and this kind of functional fitness thing that was was very uh, the core of everything we did. Um, that then built to fitness without limits, and then we dropped the fitness, and it just became without limits, and it's kind of this this mindset of a, of a life without limits, whether it's training, whether it's nutrition, whether it's relationships, whether it's, it's just an outlook on life that anything is possible. Um, and I think when I, when I go back to when I started out as a, as a personal trainer and even had my first gym, I would never have thought that as much as I, the vision was big, that March on could get to where it is now. Um, and slowly you, you gather more confidence, more team members come on, they bring a different skill set, and then you start to believe in it a little bit more. And I think now it's just up on the wall, it's even tattooed on my arm, that it's just a reminder that, um, there's always work to be done each day, and I think if you can if, if you can wake up and, and attack each day with everything that you've got and earn your rest by the time your head hits the pillow, then good things will come. Um, it's also as an aging athlete, as someone who's got so much out of the fitness industry, both as a competitive uh, rugby player and a competitive athlete, I want to make sure that for years to come, I'm still thinking there is the best is still to come because I think as soon as you stop believing in that, then you know then it's a decline, uh, and I want to try and delay that as much as I can. Yep, so no end in sight for you yeah, in the gym. Yeah, it's like the infinite game thing. I think um, I think I'll live and die in a gym, probably. I think the gym brings me, or it's brought me in and will continue to bring me all the all the happiest moments outside of family life. It's brought the best connections and friendships that, that I s- still hold true today. It's afforded me the ability to travel around the world, and in traveling all around the world, the first place I'll go is, is, is gyms. And like you said, earphones out, get in there, understand the culture and, and get speaking to people. Um, they're really special places and I think people go it's like church people go there for a common reason um, and most people it's, it's like self-betterment physically and mentally and they're places that I want to try and spend as much time as possible makes sense to me Oli if you only had 60 seconds mm. to reach out to the men's health audience and tell them everything that 
you think they need to know about kind of optimizing and doing the best with their time in the gym space to to see improvements and and to kind of push themselves on on this journey what would you tell them such a great question i would tell them to it's a fine balance like i said earlier between playfulness and uh, playing a long game and trusting in a process so you can't just go there and mess around like you have to go there with intention show up continually and, and, and but when you're there make sure you're engaging something that you do find fun in um, and whether that's with someone even even better if you if you can find that person i would invest in a training program or invest in something like men's health where you can follow something along where there's progression where it's written down and there's accountability to follow out the training program um I would try and ignore, ignore all the noise because if you go looking for too many inputs, you'll soon start paying attention to them and get distracted and, and that could lead you off path. Uh, and I would just appreciate that it is a journey and that you want to be doing this for as long as you can. So find a gym that you or find a, a method of fitness that you enjoy. Find someone to do it with. Find a program that is conducive with the results um, and challenge yourself. Beautiful stuff really hang on for stuff yeah only where can people find you online or in real life indeed you can find i mean we've got two gyms so one's located in harpenden Hertfordshire. that's our headquarters and we have one in east london in in stratford uh, a lot of the work we do like i said is is online so we have our own our own training app with a, a range of different programs from functional bodybuilding through to crossfit to find me personally instagram is probably the main channel at, at ollie march on we're soon to release our own podcast, the Without Limits podcast, so conversations with cool people from various different industries around their mindset routines and, and what's made them successful. Um, but yeah, if you, if you want to get hold of me, Instagram's probably the, the main way, and I, I'm very good at trying to, get, trying to get back to people, and so long as people come with you know good questions and are polite, then I've got plenty of time for everyone. Dude, it's been an absolute pleasure, as usual. Thank you very much for your time, and I'm absolutely stoked to uh, to see you on the cover mate i appreciate it mate thank you at thank you mate thanks Ollie.